This podcast should not be considered as medical advice. If you are looking for medical advice, please contact a licensed physician. But do find someone that has a brain and can think critically about what's going on in the world today. This is the Collective Resistance Podcast with your hosts, Leo and Fabiola. We will be discussing why we find ourselves resisting the narratives of the common collective, as well as why the common collective resists new information. Propaganda must facilitate the displacement of aggression by specifying the targets for hatred. Joseph Goebbels We would like to think that modern societies like ours have outgrown barbaric customs like human sacrifice. Sure, we still engage in scapegoating and figuratively sacrifice people on the altar of public opinion, but we don't actually kill people in hopes of placating the gods and restoring order. Or do we? Some scholars believe we do. Following the thought of the late philosopher René Girard, they argue that human sacrifice is still with us today in the form of capital punishment and incarceration, a removal from society. Girard believed that human sacrifice arose in response to what he called a sacrificial crisis. The original sacrificial crisis, the greatest threat to early societies, was escalating cycles of violence and retribution. The solution was to redirect the vengeance away from each other and in violent unanimity toward a scapegoat or class of scapegoats. Once established, this pattern was memorialized in myth and ritual, applied preemptively as human sacrifice, and carried out in response to any other crisis that threatens society. In this view, capital punishment originated in human sacrifice, and it is human sacrifice. It performs the same functions, to forestall reciprocal violence through unanimous violence. It does so by monopolizing vengeance, truncating the cycle of retaliatory violence at the first iteration. This works whether the subject of execution or incarceration is guilty of a crime or not. Justice is a cover story for something more primal. Theologian Brian K. Smith writes, The subject of a modern execution might also be carrying multivalent significations, among other things, racial and economic metonymic potentialities. Such a figure might serve as a representative of all crime, of disorder and social chaos, of the breakdown of values, etc. Apart from any utilitarian deterrent effect capital punishment might have, it is one rather drastic response to a social problem, illegal and illicit violence. In other words, what we rationalize in the language of justice and deterrence is actually a blood ritual in which a person, whether guilty or not, becomes a symbol. Ritual springs up irrepressibly around executions. The last meal, the dead man walking, to the special execution chamber, the witnesses, the medical procedures— the presiding physician, the signed papers, the last rites, the covering of the head, the precise timetable, the final words, and the exacting attention to detail all mark off the execution as separate, special, sacred. Pause post.
Fabiola, how are you doing today? I'm good, Leo. How are you? Very good. And what uh, we started off reading there for you was a post by Charles Eisenstein called Mob Morality and the Unvaxxed, which is part three uh, of a, uh, I think he's actually about to write a fourth part to it as well, which we will link to the first uh, few that he has out there. But we're going to be kind of diving into part three today. And that was uh, the uh, uh the, the prelude, if you will, to that. And uh, uh, so we're going we're gonna to kind of read sections of that. You might have heard me say pause post. I'm going to say resume post when uh, I go back into reading his words. And you might say, well, who is Charles Eisenstein? He is a speaker and writer focusing on themes of civilization, consciousness, money, and human cultural evolution. His viral short films and essays online have established him as a genre-defying social philosopher and countercultural intellectual. Eisenstein graduated from Yale University in 89 with a degree in mathematics and philosophy and spent the next 10 years as a Chinese-English translator. The author of The More Beautiful World Our Hearts Know is Possible, Sacred Economics, and Ascent of Humanity. He currently lives in Camp Hill, Pennsylvania. So that's who Charles Eisenstein is, and, and who he is is, is really um, less important. It's more his words because uh, he actually cuts to the heart of the matter in uh, what we wanted to kind of dive in on today's episode, which was you know another uh, intense week. We've been a little bit detached because we've had guests this week, so we we haven't been you know consuming quite as much content. But we were coming back from a road trip today. We we consumed quite a bit on the uh, the road trip back just to kind of understand uh, where things are at, and uh, we thought that this particular piece kind of tied in with some of the uh, uh, the themes that, that that came up. Don't you agree? Yes, I agree. I agree. There is a a movement, like we talked last week, of dehumanizing a social class of people. There are the people that are choosing to not take a particular experimental drug. <laughs> I think we can just say it here. On yes. I don't think we're mincing words on this podcast. Yes, that is, they're not willing to... Um, take the injection yeah so we want to what we want to do in this uh, uh, episode is we want to read through this piece because we think it's it's actually very very applicable obviously it's not our words but um, you know we can take someone who has a uh, a master of words and we can use the that uh, uh, prose to think about these ideas and what is happening in the world. And so that's what we want to do today. So is there anything else you want to mention about uh, that kind of uh, prelude that we, we started off with? Or can we go ahead and jump into the next section? We can go ahead and let me see if there's anything. Well, we're just staging here. The, the word to uh, think about is scapegoat or a class of scapegoats. Yeah, and I had a, I mean, I had an experience this week because I had a, a friend of mine who I've worked with at a past position, and uh, I just happened to go on Facebook, which I don't go on very often anymore. I certainly don't uh, 
exchange on Facebook uh, almost at all. Uh, now, maybe an occasional happy birthday or something, but but certainly not from a, a an idea standpoint. And um, I just don't feel like the 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 platform is very conducive to 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 long form ideas. And, and really that's what we're doing today, right? Is we're, we're actually diving into a more longer form idea. So we actually don't know how long this is going to take. It might go longer than our typical one hour episode. So just FYI, uh, uh, we're, we're just throwing that out there, but we think these things are important. And I also think that just on the subject of long form, this is really what is missing in uh, the dialogue today because everybody wants things in these quick sound sound bites, you know, safe and effective. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, they just want to be able to say, yes, I can feel good about this or this is bad for me. I want to stay away from this. And, and uh, they don't want to have to think about it. And unfortunately, as we talked about in last week's episode, look, you're not going to get out of this without having to think about it. Okay, mm-hmm. you're either thinking about it now and being proactive about it, or you're going to have to reflect on uh, some situations that you may put yourself in down the road as this thing continues to progress. So again, not to uh, uh, you know make this uh, uh, too serious because we want to play with these ideas, but but uh, mm-hmm. let's go ahead and say that. So I'll go ahead and jump in section two. Does that sound good? That sounds good. All right. So uh, resume post. Something must be done. In a lucidly argued paper, legal scholar Roberta Harding offers several examples from the Deep South during Jim Crow where judge, jury, and prosecutor well knew that the accused black man was innocent of the charge of raping a white woman. However, because the white supremacist social order was threatened by consensual interracial intercourse, they executed and accused anyway. If they failed to do so promptly, he was lynched. Partly this was to set an example and terrify the black population but partly it was because something had to be done. By the same token, it mattered little that Afghan villagers or Iraqi politicians had no culpability for 9-11, nor did it matter that bombing them would have no practical effect on future terrorism, except to further inflame it. Obviously, the United States was using 9-11 as a pretext to accomplish larger geopolitical aims, yet it worked as a pretext only because of broad public agreement that something must be done. And enacting the age-old pattern, we knew what to do. Find some targets for unifying violence that cannot effectively retaliate. I was dismayed in 2001 when at Quaker meeting, where at Quaker meetings of all places, one of the Quakers said, of course, a forceful response of some kind is necessary. What I wonder does forceful mean? It means bombing someone. In other words, we must find someone upon whom to visit violence. He may also have mentioned addressing the imperialist causes of terrorism, but those were not the subject, of course. Nearly everyone instinctively took for granted the necessity of finding sacrificial victims. We were definitely going to bomb someone. The only question was whom. The 9-11 attack exemplifies what Harding calls a triggering incident, which resuscitates dissensions, rivalries, jealousies, and quarrels within the community, leading to a sacrificial crisis. A recent such incident was the murder of George Floyd. The latent conflicts it exposed have been festering for so long that it takes little provocation for them to erupt into an active crisis. The response to Floyd's murder is a classic illustration of the calming power of violent unanimity. 
as Derek Chauvin's conviction and sentencing temporarily quelled the racialized civil unrest that the killing sparked. Something was done, but only to quell the unrest, not to solve the complex, heavily ramified problem of police killings. It no more addressed the source of America's race problems than killing Osama bin Laden made America safe from terrorism. Not just any victim will do as an object of human sacrifice. Victims must be, as Harding puts it, in but not of the society. That is why during the Black Death, mobs roamed about murdering Jews for poisoning the wells. The entire Jewish population of Basel was burned alive, a scene repeated throughout Western Europe. Yet this was not mainly the result of pre-existing virulent hatred of Jews waiting for an excuse to erupt. It was that victims were needed to release social tension, and hatred, an instrument of that release, coalesced opportunistically on the Jews. They qualified as victims because of their in-but-not-of status. Combating, I'm sorry, combating hatred is combating a symptom. Scapegoats needn't be guilty, but they must be marginal outcasts, heretics, taboo breakers, or infidels of one kind or another. If they are too alien, they will unsuitable. They will be unsuitable as transfer objects of in-group aggression. Neither can they be full members of society. Less cycles of vengeance ensue. If they are not already marginal, they must be made so. It was ritually important that Derek Chauvin be cast as a racist and white supremacist. Then his removal from society could serve symbolically as the removal of racism itself. Just to be clear here, I'm not saying Derek Chauvin's conviction for George Floyd's murder was unjust. I'm saying that justice was not the only thing carried out. Pause post. So, you know, I, I read that, and uh, to me, I, I look at everything that's going on, and obviously we have a very tense situation happening around the pandemic, right? You've got a lot of people's livelihoods at stake or already destroyed. You've got people extremely stressed about their health or lack of health or just the unknown intricacies of this uh uh, I'm using air quotes here, disease that, uh, you know, where, where the uh, ins and outs of it seem to change almost daily uh, as a moving target. And uh, uh, now we're at this point where we are very, very focused in putting the onus on the unvaccinated as the problem in this equation. As we talked about in last week's episode, uh, you know, it is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. And so now we are in this dehumanization campaign. Would you agree? Mm-hmm, I agree. Um, there was something he said that was so interesting to me. It's like there needs to be a release to the building tension and the social chaos. Yeah, it, it's really, it, it's not that the target is a just target Mm -hmm. it's that it is the target that will release the tension Mm -hmm. so that's not gonna solve yes i gonna solve the the problem problem. it releases the tension and then you know obviously he didn't say this in this section specifically but um, i think we can all um, also kind of conclude that you know there are certainly some things afoot so by quelling the tension 
you're able to then kind of stamp through some of these other things that you're trying to push down, like we talked about around the Great Reset mm-hmm. and some of this other more tyrannical um, um, agenda. Agenda, yeah. And so, so uh, you, you you can't do those things when things are at a fever pitch, mm-hmm. right? And the interesting thing that he points out, and that it's like we know this. We know that putting Derek Chauvin's say, uh, behind bars is not going to solve racism, right? We know this. We know that. I mean, he will talk more about this throughout the, the article. I don't want to give it away. But it's like in our core, we know these things. <laughs> but our fear of being a now cast or being associated with a now cast of being the scapegoat, you know, ends up uh, making us be part of the group uh, that is not the outcast group. Yeah, well, and and I think, and he's going to talk about it in this next section, but, you know, you've got this uh, compartmentalization of society into Mm -hmm. all these buckets, right? And so each... Or two buckets. Well, each side really has the, the this um, subset of buckets, right? So let, let's go ahead and, and maybe dive let's into do that. that. Okay, mm-hmm. all right. So resume post. Representatives of pollution. Aside from criminals who today serve as the representative of Smith's disorder, social chaos, and breakdown of values that seem to be overtaking the world. For most of my life, external enemies and story of the nation served to, I'm sorry, for most of my life, external enemies and a story of the nation served to unify society. Communism and the Soviet Union, Islamic terrorism, the mission to the moon, and the mythology of progress. Today, the Soviet Union is long dead. Terrorism has ceased to terrify. The moon is boring, and the mythology of progress is in terminal decline. Civil strife burns even hotter. Without the broad consensus necessary to transform it into unifying violence. For the right, It is Antifa, Black Lives Matter protesters, critical race theory academics, and undocumented immigrants that represent social chaos and the breakdown of values. For the left, it is the Proud Boys, right-wing militias, white supremacists, QAnon, the Capitol rioters, and the burgeoning new category of domestic extremists. And finally, defying left-right categorization is a promising new scapegoat class, the heretics of our time, the anti-vaxxers. As a readily identifiable subpopulation, they are ideal candidates for scapegoating. It matters little whether any of these pose a real threat to society. As with the subjects of criminal justice, their guilt is irrelevant to the project of restoring order through blood sacrifice or expulsion from the community by incarceration or in more tepid but possibly prefigurative form through canceling. All that is necessary is that the dehumanized class arose the blind indignation and rage necessary to incite a 
paroxysm of unifying violence. More relevant, I'm sorry, more relevant to current times, this primal mob energy can be harnessed toward fascistic political ends. Totalitarians right and left invoke it directly when they speak of purges, ethnic cleansing, racial purity, and traitors in our midst. Sacrificial subjects carry an association of pollution or contagion. Their removal thus cleanses society. I know people in the alternative health field who are considered so unclean that if I so much as mention their names in a tweet or Facebook post, the post may be deleted. Deletion is a certainty if I link to an article or interview with them. The public's ready acceptance of such blatant censorship cannot be explained solely in terms of its believing the pretext of controlling misinformation. Unconsciously, the public recognizes and conforms to the age-old program of investing a pariah subclass with the symbology of pollution. The program is well underway toward the COVID unvaxxed, who are being portrayed as walking cesspools of germs who might contaminate the sanctified brethren the vaccinated. My wife perused an acupuncture Facebook page today, which one would expect to be skeptical of mainstream medicine, where someone asked, what is the word that comes to mind to describe unvaccinated people? The responses were things like filth, assholes, and death eaters. This is precisely the dehumanization necessary to prepare a class of people for cleansing. The science behind this portrayal is dubious. Contrary to the association of the unvaccinated with public danger, some experts contend that it is the vaccinated that are more likely to drive mutant variants through selection pressure. Just as antibiotics result in higher mutation rates that adaptive evolution in bacteria leading to antibiotic resistance. So many vaccines push viruses to mutate. Hence the prospect of endless boosters against endless new variants. This phenomenon has been studied for decades. As this article in my favorite math and science website, Quanta, describes, the mutated variants evade the vaccine-induced antibodies in contrast to the robust immunity that, according to some scientists, those who have already been sick with COVID have to all variants. See this in this and uh, more analysis here compared to Dr. Fauci's viewpoint. He links to this. It is not my purpose here, however, to present a scientific case. My point is that those in the scientific and medical community who dissent from the demonetization the demonization of the unvaxxed contend not only with opposing scientific views, but with ancient, powerful, psychosocial forces. They can debate the science all they want, but they are up against something much bigger. Rwandan scientists could just as well have debated the precepts of Hutu power for all the good that would have done. Perhaps the Nazi example is more apposite here. Since the Nazis did invoke science in their extermination campaigns, then as now, science was a cloak for something more primal. The hurricane of sacrificial violence easily swept aside the minority of German scientists who contested the science of eugenics, and it wasn't because the dissidents were wrong. We face a similar situation today. If the mainstream view on COVID vaccines is wrong, it will not be overthrown by science alone. The pro-vaccine camp has a powerful non-scientific ally in the collective id. 
expressed through various mechanisms of ostracism, shaming, and other social and economic pressure. It takes courage to defy a mob. Doctors and scientists who express anti-vaccine views risk losing funding, jobs, and licenses. Just as ordinary citizens face censorship on social media, even a non-polemic essay like this one will likely be censored, especially if I... Uh, stain it with the pollution of the heretics by linking blacklisted websites or articles by the disinformation dozen anti-vaxxers. Here, let's try it for fun. GreenMedInfo.com, Children's Health Events, Mercola.com. Ah, that felt a little like shouting swear words in public. You'd better not follow these links lest you be tainted by the pollution and your browsing history mark you as an infidel. To prepare someone for removal as the repository of all that is evil, it helps to heap upon them every imaginal calumny. This we hear in mainstream publications that anti-vaxxers not only are killing people, but are raging narcissists, white supremacists, vile, spreaders of Russian disinformation, and tantamount to domestic terrorists. These accusations are amplified by cherry-picking a few examples, choosing hysterical-looking photos of anti-vaxxers, and showcasing their most dubious arguments. If the authorities follow the play book developed to counter other domestic threats, we can also expect agent provocateurs, entrapment schemes, government agents voicing violent positions to discredit the movement, and so forth. Techniques developed in the infiltration of the civil rights, environmental, and anti-globalism movements. Concerned friends have advised me to distance myself from members of the disinformation dozen whom I know as if they carry some kind of contagion. Well, in a sense, they do, the contagion of disrepute. It reminds me of Soviet times when mere association with a dissident could land one in the gulag with them. It also reminds me of my school days when it was social suicide to befriend with the weird kid whose weirdness would rub off on oneself. In grade school, the contagion was known as cooties. In my early teens, I was the weird kid, and only very brave teenagers could befriend or could be friendly to me while anyone was watching. Clearly, the basic social dynamic pervades society at many levels. A deeply ingrained gut instinct recognizes the danger of membership in a pariah subclass. To defend the pariahs or to fail to show sufficient enthusiasm in attacking them marks one with suspicion. The result is self-censorship and discretion, contributing all the more to the illusion of unanimity pause post okay a lot said there but um you know i mean i think even in this podcast we and we get into some pretty um non-mainstream topics yes but but i mean we're we're we are also you know sometimes hitting our heads up against each other going oh yeah you can't you can't say that you can't bring that up because then you know you even if they're ideas that we're not even fully on board with, but we're we're open to talk about them, mm-hmm. you know? And I mean, where are we at as a society where we can't at least put those ideas out there and go, look, these are interesting. I don't know how I feel about it one way or another, but I mean, mm-hmm. I need to talk about it and, and rather than it just ringing around in my head, because you and I both know that when you put things out in the 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 light of day Mm -hmm. a lot of times they sound very very different than they do in your head 
Yeah, that is true. And and it's interesting, this last part that he was talking about, that to defend the pariahs or to fail to show sufficient enthusiasm in attacking them marks one with suspicion. And we've had that experience. The result is self-censorship and discretion, contributing all the more to the illusion of unanimity. And that's what's happening to me at my job, where now I can't hide anymore because people know... You've kind of been tagged in a way. Yeah. And I, when people start talking and telling everyone, go ahead and mask up, go get your vaccine and all this, um, I self-censor myself because it's almost like, why am I going <laughs> to make myself more of a target? <laughs> So I'm definitely. I mean, I don't. I don't even know what to say. Well, it it, it is kind of um, astonishing, I think, if you think about it, because I mean, how many things in your life that you know, when it comes right down to it, may, they might not be topics that come up all the time with most people in conversation. But I mean, how many things are there in your life that? You, you might not think everyone necessarily agrees with you, mm-hmm. but you're not fearful. Oh, yeah. that's a, There's a lot. There's a lot. <laughs> well, no, 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 no. I, I'm saying, I'm saying uh, in this particular case, like with this, this thing here, and you and I have uh-huh. had that experience around health, but I mean, like, yeah. I, I don't, I'm, I'm like, saying. Like, let's not talk to our friends about vaccines or. I remember even being invited, staying with a friend in the past. Do you remember when we went to uh, Minneapolis and we stayed with a friend and the topic of vaccines came up and we were at their house, staying at their house. (laughs) And uh, we kept, we just kept at it, I guess, you know, and and the conversation kind of came to a head with our friend friend basically said, well, I'm not going to question. I'm not going to look through the, the studies. And I'm not going to do that. Uh, but we still like kept talking about it, even though it got heated. And it led to this person to conclude that I don't like vaccines, which is really not what I was trying to get across. <laughs> I was trying to get across the scientific point of view of why you should question these things and but we still were able to have the conversation we're not kicked out of their house but it took great courage and really being like well if they kick us out then they kick us out you know we can always go get a hotel room (laughs) it's true yeah it it definitely is true but i mean but i say there's these these are very few there are very few examples in my life where I just stood my ground <laughs> and and was willing to go through the confrontation. Well, but I mean, in, when that occurred, that that was pre-COVID, and mm-hmm. and and that was just a more general discussion around vaccines, you know, themselves uh, as as a uh, as a countermeasure. But but um, you know, that was a situation where we really were were at the point where. Um, you know, as a society, you had the right to 
choose which way you want it right mm-hmm. he's like okay i disagree with you and okay and i disagree with you okay yeah. that's fine you know what i mean we, just we, move on. We, we we live our lives but now we're in the situation now where it's like okay we really need to expunge one group mm-hmm. you know what i mean and and yeah, because um, if you do and this is what when i was reading this that's what it was like ringing in my head you need to expunge the group, otherwise the whole house of cars just falls apart. Well, and, and, and I get the feeling, it's funny you say that, I get the feeling right now with, with some of the things that I'm seeing, you know, on, on Facebook and, and whatnot and, and uh, people, what people are posting. I get the feeling like the, the, the thing is really getting really shaky. And so, and I think I mentioned it in last week's episode, I think that people are starting to put up a big fight mm-hmm. because they're seeing the shakiness themselves and yeah. and that makes them shaky so it's like look i've got to reinforce the walls on this thing mm-hmm. and i'm gonna i'm gonna and do- i need i need help i need help from from the, from the yeah. masses yeah, yeah well and, and so so that uh i had this woman at work that uh i'm sorry not, not at work um a woman i worked with in the in the past and uh and she's someone who um you know, I consider a friend, you know, we're, we're, we're connected on, on social media, not just like LinkedIn, uh, connections. You know, we, we, uh, broke bread together. We drank together. We, we, uh, 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 talked about families together and all that. And, and, uh, we even did talk about the topic of, this was pre COVID. We talked about the topic of, of, uh, vaccine injury and whatnot that came up at a conference. And, and, uh, you know, she had said that she was, pro vaccine but she was very open to talking about it and and uh she seemed like she agreed with some of the points but you know i i just happened to get on facebook and i i caught a uh uh, a post from her and she says um i've been seeing a lot of these i'm for medical freedom frames popping up lately what a bunch of bullshit I'm sorry, I have to speak up on this one. No one is forcing you to get the vaccine or wear a mask. You have every right to make those choices. You also have the right to deal with the consequences of your decision, such as an employer who mandates it letting you go, just like you can choose to smoke weed, but your employer can say you can't be employed here. You can deal with the consequences of airlines not servicing you or venues not allowing you in. Those are not constitutional rights. So please stop with the medical freedom bullshit, especially if you are anti-choice. It's hypocritical as hell. I'd argue, I'd also argue that your insurance coverage and disability benefits shouldn't cover COVID treatment and support either. You are making a choice. You have the freedom, period. All of this exempts people for, with medical conditions that make the vaccine dangerous to receive, which I honestly think that, that at the end part, that is a very uh, interesting way she yeah. ends it. Because, because as we've made the point in the past, many people don't know that they can't get a vaccine because there's no screening process to say, hey, you might have, uh, you might be in a group that that is more applicable to getting injury and all of that. Mm-hmm. That they don't do that. You don't know that you are one of those people until after you get the shot and you have a reaction. So it's so uh, uh, nice that she ends it, you know, as kind of a get out of jail card, so she doesn't, you know incite people who have known issues you know coming after her in the post but you should see the 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 responses 
in that post, which it got a lot, and and uh, and everyone is very much on board with, um, you know, essentially I shouldn't say everyone, but I mean basically the lion's share, uh, maybe eighty ninety percent uh, of people are 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 stating that you know they agree that you know the time for debate is over, as if we've ever even had debate. Yeah. In in mainstream circles, and and uh, the time for debate is over, and that uh, you know you get what you deserve. So uh, lay in your in your bed, and and I just was like, I mean, it just showed me that you know she must have had that conversation with me about you know general vaccination. She must have had that conversation with me um, just to maybe she didn't feel like she could hold her own in the conversation so she just kind of granted the space to get out of it you know because if she's letting her real her real feelings known here um it's just sad it's it's very sad and uh, and, and I, you share that she's a smoker right yeah i didn't say that but i mean that 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 was the that to me that is the the big rub i mean uh she's a heavy smoker you know one of those people were constantly looking for for um uh, an opportunity to have a cigarette and all of that. And, and, uh, uh, she, she's no, uh, she, she, you know, I mean, not, I'm not saying I don't enjoy a drink myself, but I mean, she's certainly not pushing away alcoholic beverages. You know, I mean, there's nothing about her that screams health <laughs> by, by any, uh, stretch of the imagination. But she feels entitled, but she feels entitled to judge, pass on judgment and, on things that she doesn't know she was talking about constitution apparently you know her marks on the constitution show that she doesn't know anything about the constitution and about people's inherited rights well well let, let's uh, let's uh, just kind of get people thinking you know where this is mm-hmm. going let, let's now go ahead and jump back in uh, on this here so so uh, resume post Hijacking morality. The same kind of positive reinforcement cycle is what generates a mob. All it takes is a few loud people to incite it by declaring someone or something a target. A portion of the crowd goes along enthusiastically. The rest keep silent and conform in outward behavior even as they are troubled within. To each, it looks like he or she is the only one who disagrees. Writ large to the totalitarian state, the support of a majority of the population is unnecessary. The appearance of support will suffice. The mechanisms that generate the illusion of unanimity operate within science, medicine, and journalism, as well as among the general public. Some conform enthusiastically to the orthodoxy. Others complain in whispers to sympathetic colleagues. Those who voice dissent publicly become radioactive. The consequences of their apostasy, excommunication from funding, ridicule in the media, shunning by colleagues who must distance themselves, etc., serve to silence other potential dissidents who prudently keep their views to themselves. Notice that here, I have not yet said what I personally think about vaccine safety, efficacy, or necessity. Be patient. Nonetheless, what I have said is enough for anyone to distance themselves from me to keep safe. If I'm not an anti-vaxxer myself, I certainly have their cooties. Someone 
on an online forum that I co-host related an incident. His children had a play date scheduled at their friend's house. A parent called him to ask if his family had been vaccinated. Politely, he said no, and his children were immediately disinvited. While this parent doubtless doubtlessly believed he was being scientific in canceling the invitation, I doubt science was really the reason. Even the most COVID orthodox person understands that the non-symptomatic children of non-symptomatic parents pose negligible risks of infection. Furthermore, since vaccine believers presumably trust that the vaccine provides protection, rationally speaking, they have little to fear from the unvaccinated. The risk is vanishingly small, but the moral indignation is huge. Many, if not most people, get the vaccine in an altruistic civic spirit, not because they personally fear getting COVID, but because they believe they are contributing to herd immunity and protecting others. By extension, those who refuse the vaccine are shirking their civic duty, hence the epithets filth and assholes. They become the identifiable representatives of social decay, ready for surgical removal from the body politic like cancer cells, all conveniently located in the same tumor. Social stability depends on people rewarding altruism and deterring antisocial behavior. These rewards and deterrents are encoded into morals and then into norms and taboos. Performing the rituals and avoiding the taboos of a tribe and shaming and punishing those who do not. One rests serenely in the knowledge of being a good person. As an added benefit, one distinguishes oneself as part of the moral majority, a full member of society and not part of the sacrificial minority. Our fear of nonconformity is born of ancient experience so deeply ingrained it has become an instinct. It is hard to distinguish it from morality. The fear operating in the ostracism of the unvaxxed is mostly not fear of disease, though disease may be its proxy. The main fear, old as humanity, is is of a social contagion. It is a fear association with the outcast, coded as moral indignation. In any society, some people are especially zealous in enforcing group norms, values, rituals, and taboos. They may be controlling types, or they may simply care about the common good. They serve an important function when the norms and rituals are aligned with social and ecological health, but when corrupt forces hijack the norms through propaganda and the control of information, these good folks can become instruments of totalitarian control. Those doing the scapegoating may honestly, even fervently, believe the narrative of the unvaccinated endanger others. Again, while I find the evidence to the contrary uh, persuasive, I won't try to build a case for it beyond the hints I've offered already. As the saying goes, you can't reason someone out of a position that they didn't reason themselves into to begin with. Furthermore, most of the citations I would use would come from the blacklisted sources, which owing to their heresy, are unacceptable to those who trust official sources of information. If you trust the official sources, why then you trust their exclusion of the heretical information? When official sources exclude all dissent, then all dissent becomes a priori invalid to those who trust them. Consequently, much of the dissent migrates to dodgy right-wing websites without the resources to check facts 
facts and scrutinize sources. One would think, for example, that a highly credentialed scientist like Dr. Peter McCullough, a professor of medicine, author of hundreds of peer-reviewed articles, and president of the Cardiorenal Society of America, would be able to find a hearing outside the right-wing media ecosystem. But no, he's been sidelined to places like the right-wing Catholic John Henry Weston show. I wish I could find a link to this persuasive interview somewhere else, especially because there is actually nothing right-wing about McAuliffe's views. Tragically, the sites that host people like McAuliffe are quite often home to anti-immigrant and anti-LGBTQ articles that use the same tactics leveled at anti-vaxxers, tap into the same template of dehumanization and scapegoating, and lend themselves to the same fascistic ends. Pause post. I wanted to read this real quick because it was part of the article. When the star belly children went out to play ball, could a plain belly get into the game? Not at all. You only could play if, you, if your bellies had stars and the plain belly children had none upon theirs. Dr. Seuss. You know, I remember the Starbelly book. I, I can remember reading that to our oldest son when he was younger and, and uh, thinking, man, this is such an annoying book. But man, it, it really it, it really is apropos to this situation, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he, he went over a lot in that section, but, you know, they're really talking about the same lady I just mentioned and in, in my, my friend, the, the co-worker that I used, mm-hmm. I used to work with at a previous position. Uh, you know, she is a very type A personality. And, uh, you know, she is basically one of these people rallying the troops. And he mentions here, in any society, some people are especially zealous in enforcing group norms, values, rituals, and taboos. They may be controlling types, or they may simply care about the common good. They serve an important function when the norms and rituals are a aligned with the social and ecological health, but when corrupt forces hijack the norms through propaganda and the control of information, these good folks can become instruments of totalitarian control. Mm-hmm. And I got to tell you, the post I read to you was really the weak one. I mean, in a lot of her replies in there, she goes even more hardcore. And I mean, I, I, I there's just no other way I could slice this. You know what I mean? I mean, she's just... Do you want to read this? Well, I mean, I have to find him. I didn't go searching for him, but but uh, you know, we're not here to. I'm just kind of using her as an example, you know, in this. And she certainly she got. Um, and I think the last time I looked at the post, it had over a hundred comments. So she's certainly a rallying cry and 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 she even like thanked everyone which i mentioned like 90 percent of the people on there were concurring with her she's like i'm just so excited that you know i could facilitate this discussion which seems like it's been very um uh positive and productive and i'm thinking here okay uh, there's been nobody with a counterpoint, you know, and I, and I could have been that person, you know what I mean? So, I mean, I'll, I'll admit that I could have been that person, but I mean, it's just so interesting how they see that, you know, the, as the saying goes, you can't reason someone out of a position. They didn't reason themselves into to begin. With. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah. And that's how I feel at my corporate job. I can't, I don't know if there's anything I can say Mm -hmm. that will change their mind because here they are in healthcare and they got to drink the Kool-Aid because from top down, there was a pie chart 
with three data points saying the vaccinated are the problem in a very non-scientific in a, in a non-scientific manner right mm-hmm. and you can't argue now with the pie chart because you can't reason someone out of a position they didn't reason themselves into. Yeah, because they don't they don't know how they got there. Yeah. They have no idea. They have no idea how the report was even put together. So so it only All be- they got was the pie chart. It, it only becomes more confusing when you're given information that actually makes sense. Yeah. Because you're like, well, how could I be standing over here if mm-hmm. everything that you're saying means I should be standing over here. You just can't, if you don't know why you're where you're at, you you can't have a productive conversation with anyone. You know, it's just not possible. And and I think that's why I, honestly, why I stood back and I, I, first of all, I didn't even know where to jump in. There's so much more. And that's, that's, that's the point I'm making here is that this is really a long form problem and you can't, you can't solve this problem in short form quips. Mm-hmm. You cannot do it. You know what I mean? And then you're left, you know. Yeah, because then you're left into saying, look at yourself and the choices you make on a daily basis. And how did those affect yourself? So you were choosing to smoke. And I understand that you were choosing to smoke because you have an addiction. I'm not sure why you have the addiction, but I can see that, okay, she's got an addiction. She's got a problem. You know, I'm not going to to judge you, but I can clearly see you are not really looking at your own life. You're just looking outside of yourself uh, to pinpoint, you know, other people's issues through your, your eyes, but you are completely blinded to your own uh lifestyle choices you know like should i just start asking all my friends did you take your vitamins today because you know if you didn't take your vitamins you might get sick yeah and, and did you eat mcdonald's me, and then you're today? putting me at risk yeah yeah you're putting you know? me at risk because did, then you're sick you could infect me did, did, did you eat your serving of vegetables <laughs> you know did you do your I mean, push you go so many ways with it, this conversation it, it, and that's why the the vaccine is really a red herring you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It is because it is believed that it is this silver bullet that eliminates all problems. All personal responsibility. You know, and I had a friend that... that Your only personal responsibility is to judge and shame others for making a different choice than you did. Yeah, because it's not like we would, it's not like we would ever call somebody up that we know likes McDonald's or something. We would mm-hmm. never call them up and go, hey, uh, did you cook a whole meal today you know what i mean you know whole foods meal today or did you go to mcdonald's again you know what i mean because right. you, you disgust me i mean we, we, we would never do that we would yeah. never think to do that but but i mean honestly this conversation th- that's really where it is I mean, I mean not not that we would ever do that and that's not what we would recommend but i mean this is the equivalent that's happening the other way with these vaccines and that that does remind me of something uh, but it's interesting that you cannot have this conversation you cannot point to this woman. You are a smoker. Look at what you're doing. Tell me more about your smoking. Yeah. Right? It's the, the, the self-censoring. Yeah. It's the self-censoring. Oh, and certainly, certainly like on Facebook, I've gotten to that point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm self-censoring. Yeah, yeah. 100%. But, you know, that remi- that also reminded me of, I had another friend who sent me a, you know, Marco Polo and, and, and he was, and again, I may be um, 
misconsuming it. I only watched it the one time, but but uh, you know, he's like, you know, do you think that this um, this vaccine thing, you know, this is more around you know people just thinking that health is uh, uh, you know they don't have to change their their lifestyle habits, mm-hmm. right? So so the the vaccine means they can pretty much live whatever way they want to mm-hmm. live, and then as long as they take these shots, then you know their health is is uh, is covered. And I had responded back to him. I said, hey, "Do you even listen to the podcast?" Because I mean that's I'm, and I was just doing it jokingly, but I mean because this is the whole point we're making that we're we're, we're talking about here is that there is a paradigm that is marketed that basically is stating that health is not what you eat. It's not how you live. It's, it's, uh, you know, and, and, you know, we, we went, it's the drugs that you take. (laughs) Well, yeah, yeah, literally it it is, it is, it is how do you mask the symptoms that you have with drugs? Mm -hmm. And then it is how you, how do you then, uh, um, either have things removed through surgery. Yeah. Okay. Or, uh, like cancer is a great example. Cut right? poison, burn. Yeah. Cut poison, burn. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the paradigm. And and um, this kind of got started because I had posted in our Telegram group. You know, we were in in Yellowstone this weekend, and um, we were staying at a hotel. Which, by the way, the hotel is telling everyone that they're that they are a COVID safe environment, meaning they like clean the rooms. Mm-hmm. Which honestly, what you learn when you go there is that. They don't send the cleaning people to your room unless you ask them on a daily basis. So they 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 cheap out, right? Mm-hmm. Because then they don't have to clean your room if you haven't made the ask. Um, but then I get up early in the morning. The first morning we're there, I go to the the continental breakfast, which you know I've seen a lot of continental breakfasts in my life. Some of them pretty decent, um, but this was by far maybe the worst one I've ever seen. I don't think it had any fruit. Um, uh, it, it, everything was, um, you know, enriched flour, you know, with all the nutrition, all the whole grains taken out of any baked good that they had. Um, and then, uh, uh, packaged things, right. That have a lot of preservatives and chemical colorings. And then they're they're So the only hot food they're providing is they're putting eggs and sausage. The eggs come in a pla- a big plastic bag. The, the guy working there literally throws the bag in the microwave, cooks them, takes the hot bag the out plastic. in the plastic bag, takes the bag out, cuts it, dumps it out into a chafing dish that's lined with more plastic. Mm-hmm. And, 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 so and you guys know the heated plastic, right? It gives off toxins. Uh-huh, that go into your food and then you eat that and now your body needs to get rid of it. Somehow. <laughs> and, and, and so, like, this food can never get away from plastic. I mean, hot plastic. We it all can know never get plastic away from is a problem. Same thing with the sausage. It's pre-cooked. It's in plastic. They microwave. I mean, and, 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 and what's insult to injury is that they have the work that this guy, the, the employee is doing. It's like they're, it's exposed. So he can, you, you see him microwaving all this stuff as if it's a, a benefit. Oh, look, there's someone preparing your breakfast for you. He's microwaving plastic. I mean, this is the pandemic that we have is that we are marketing that we are cleaning these rooms in some hygienic way. And then we are killing with you chemicals. with chemicals in the yeah. food that we're providing to you every and day. And in the cleaners also. And the cleaners. That you I mean, using. it is uh, it, cognitive dissonance. If it was a, uh, uh, if it was a drink, I mean, people would just be downing this because it is just nuts. But let, let's let's try to wrap this up. I know we're we're, we're coming up mm-hmm. on an hour, so we've got the last section here. So uh, resume post. Uh, 
All right, moving the masses. For these reasons, I won't try too hard to substantiate my belief that, and as I'm, uh, and I may as well say it explicitly as I gesture as a gesture of goodwill to the censors, who will thus have an easier time deciding what to do with this article. The COVID vaccines are much more dangerous, less effective, and less necessary than we are told. They also seem not as dangerous, at least in the short term, as some fear. People are not dropping dead in the streets or turning into zombies. Most of my vaccinated friends seem to be just fine. So it is hard to know. The science on the issue is so clouded by financial incentives and systemic bias that it is impossible to rely on it to light a way through the murk. The system of research and public health suppresses generic medicines and nutritional therapies that have been demonstrated to greatly reduce COVID symptoms and mortality, leaving vaccines as the only choice. It also fails to adequately investigate numerous plausible mechanisms for serious long-term harm. Of course, plausible does not mean certain. At this point, no one knows or indeed can know what the long-term effects will be. My point, however, is not that the anti-vaxxers are right and being unjustly persecuted. It is that their persecution enacts a pattern that has little to do with whether they are right or wrong, innocent or guilty. The unreliability of the science underscores that point and suggests that we take a hard look at the deadly social impulses that the science cloaks. To say that official sources exclude all dissent overstates the case. In fact, peer-reviewed publications and highly credentialed medical doctors and scientists concur with much of what I've said. Admittedly, they are in the minority, but if they were right, we would not easily know it. The mechanisms for controlling misinformation work equally well to control true information that contradicts official sources. The foregoing analysis is not meant to invalidate other explanations for COVID conformity, the influence of big pharma on research, the media, the government, reigning medical paradigms that see health as a matter of winning a war on germs, a general social climate of fear, obsession with safety, the phobia and denial of death, and perhaps most importantly, the long disempowerment of individuals to manage their own health. Ding, 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 ding. Nor is the foregoing analysis incompatible with the theory that COVID and the vaccination agenda is a totalitarian conspiracy to surveil, track, inject, and control every human being on earth. There can be little doubt that some kind of totalitarian program is well underway, but I have long believed it an emergent phenomenon agglomerating synchronicities to fulfill the hidden myth and ideology of separation and not a premeditation premeditated plot among human conspirators now i believe both are true the latter subsidiary to the former its avatar its symptom its expression while not the deepest explanation for humanity's current travail conspiracies and the secret machinations of power do operate and I've come to accept that some things about our current historical moment are best explained in those terms. Whether the totalitarian program is premeditated or opportunistic, deliberate or emergent, the question remains, how does a small elite move the great mass of humanity? 
They do it by aggravating and exploiting deep psychosocial patterns such as the Girardian. Fascists have always done that. We normally attribute programs and genocide to racist ideology, the classic example being anti-Semitic fascism. From the Girardian perspective, it is more the other way around. The ideology is secondary, a creation and tool of impending violent unanimity. It creates its necessary conditions. The same might be said of slavery. It was not that Europeans thought Africans were inferior and so thus enslaved them. It was that thinking them inferior was required in order to enslave them. On an individual level, too, who among us has not operated from unconscious shadow motivations, creating elaborate enabling justifications and post-facto rationalizations of actions that harm others? Why is fascism so commonly associated with genocide when as a political philosophy it is about unity, nationalism, and the merger of corporate and state power? Is it because it needs a unifying force powerful enough to sweep aside all resistance? The us of fascism requires a them. The civic-minded moral majority participates willingly, assured that it is for the greater good. Something must be done. The doubters go along, too, for their own safety. No wonder today's authoritarian institutions know, as if instinctively, to whip up hysteria toward the newly minted class of deplorables, the anti-vaxxers and unvaccinated." Fascism taps into, exploits, and institutionalizes a deeper instinct. The practice of creating dehumanized classes of people and then murdering them is older than history. It emerges again and again under all political systems. Our own is not exempt. The campaign against the unvaccinated, garbed in the white lab coat of science, uh, munitioned with biased data and waving the Tenant of altruism channels a brutal ancient impulse. Does that mean that the unvaccinated will be rounded up in concentration camps and their leaders ritually murdered? No, they will be segregated from society in other ways. More importantly, the energies invoked by the scapegoating, dehumanizing, pollution associating campaign can be applied to gain public acceptance of coercive policies, particularly policies that fit the narrative of removing pollution. Currently, a vaccine passport is required to visit certain countries. Imagine needing one to go shopping, drive a car, or exit your home. It would be easily enforceable anywhere that has implemented the Internet of Things, in which everything from automobiles to door locks is under central control. The flimsiest pretext will suffice once the ancient template of sacrificial victim, the repository of pollution, has been established. Rene Girard was, from what I've read of his work, something of a fundamentalist. I do not agree with him that all desire beyond mere appetite is mimetic or that all ritual originates in sacrificial violence, powerful though these lenses are. By the same token, I don't want to reduce the current acceleration toward techno-totalitarianism and a biosecurity state by just one psychosocial explanation, however deep. Yet it is important to recognize the Girardian pattern so we know what we are dealing with, so that we can creatively expand our resistance beyond 
futile debate over the issues, and most importantly, so we can identify its operation within ourselves. Any movement that leverages contempt in its rhetoric fits the Girardian impulse. Elements of scapegoating such as dehumanization, rumor-mongering, stereotyping, punishment as justice, and mob mentality are alive within dissident communities as they are in the mainstream. Any who ride those powers to victory will create a new tyranny no better than the previous. There is another way and a better future. I will describe it in part four of this essay, although the reader already knows what it is by feel, if not in words. This future reaches into the present and the past to show itself any time that vengeance gives way to forgiveness, enmity, to reconciliation, blame to compassion, judgment to understanding, punishment to justice, rivalry to synergy, and suspicion to laughter. Transcendence is in the human being. End post. All right. Well, I mean, I think, again, lots said there in the end. And I, I do what I do like what he says, you know, we need to be cognizant of how we are talking about others. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I, I, we, we do have a lot, we do say a lot of jokes about uh, people on the other side, because I just, I mean, I got to be honest with you, I just think the, the um, mental gymnastics needed, I, I, I have to laugh, otherwise I would cry. Mm-hmm. But, but, but I mean, at the end of the day, I want those people to make the decisions that they want to make for themselves. Yeah. I, I don't want to stop them. Okay, so 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 we are not equal. Okay, mm-hmm. Me, meaning I'm not trying to stop them from doing anything. I mean, I I do want to give them information that they may not have, which you know may uh, allow them to look at something from a different lens. But um, you know, if if they choose to still go forward with getting a vaccine or continuing to get a vaccine mm-hmm. around COVID, I'm fine with that. I don't have any problem with that. I don't want to see them separated from society. You know, we've even talked about you know. I don't want to be separated from society either. <laughs> well, we, we, we've even talked about on this. You know, there was there was the um, kind of uh, theme going around around how you know were people who'd had the vaccine were they shedding. You know what I mean? Yeah. And stuff like that. And, mm-hmm. and, and and you and I called it out too. We were like, you know, this is still separating people. You yeah. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and and we didn't feel real good about that. I mean, no. again, I think it's probably something to be aware of, right? Mm-hmm. That as a potentiality, mm-hmm. right? We're collecting data. This is an experiment. Mm-hmm. But but I mean, I would never say, oh, okay, if if you uh, had a vaccine, you need to I'm be staying at home. I'm not going to hang out with you. I'm not going to hang out with you. And, and, and we have not done that to anybody. No. You know, we've hung out with many. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, he, he says a lot of great stuff that I think is important. And, you know, and then he, he comes in and says, look, uh, here he is, a great intellectual. And he says, you know, there is a ton about these vaccines that's not great. You know, now mm-hmm. he, he seems to not have been connected to anybody who's had really bad outcomes. So he's like, hey, you know, are they as bad as some of these really bad stories we're hearing? He goes, I don't know, maybe they're not that bad. But, um, you know, we also don't know the long-term effects. And we, I mean, and we hope and wish the best for everyone that has chosen this for themselves for whatever reason. And it would be okay for me to share a post, my last post on Facebook, (laughs) which I don't post there. Just don't use names, right? very, uh, Very often, if ever, to be honest. But I really felt... 
call to to post this and I think it kind of ties the what we were talking about nicely on sorry about that (laughs) (laughs) I meant to mute myself there and I hit the wrong button with what he was saying in his last paragraph there is another way and a better future and this is what my post said Most of us are quick to come up with a story about why people make the decisions they make. Very few of us are willing to be curious and seek to understand. We can be so invested in our story and our reasons. We miss the opportunity to connect with a fellow human, being in a a meaningful way. These conversations may be uncomfortable and in the end may result in an argument or the end of a relationship or friendship. But my belief is that every attempt we make to connect and seek to understand will inevitably propel us to expand our awareness and grow. If we explore closely, we come out of each interaction, positive or negative, with new realizations and understanding about ourselves and others. We also get the opportunity to choose love and acceptance for ourselves and others. This is the humanity that is missing in our world today, a world of increasing hate and division. And it's so, so simple to heal this hate and division. All it takes is the willingness to connect, be curious, and seek to understand. You may not agree in the end. You may end up arguing, and that's okay. Be brave. Be willing to take that first step with an attitude of love and compassion in your heart. The love experience we can generate for ourselves towards another is ours for the take. No one can take that away from us, regardless of the outcome. We can choose love, not because we are told it is the right thing to do, but because it feels amazing. It makes us human. It makes our world a better place. All right. Thank you for that, Fabi. And now let's go ahead and uh, end the episode, I think. Yes. All right. That's another one for the Collective Resistance Podcast. Fabi, what do you want to tell everybody? Hey, everybody. Stay healthy, stay safe, and stay curious.